Hello and welcome to PathPod. This is our next episode of the PathPod Quiz Show. Our guests today are Dr. Tomas Denise, a postdoctoral fellow at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Dr. Gagandeep Carr, a chief resident and PGY4 at the Danbury Hospital in Connecticut, and Dr. Sue Chang, a clinical assistant professor and chief of anatomic pathology at City of Hope in Los Angeles. Your hosts today are Dr. Sarah Jang of Duke Health and Dr. Nicole Riddle of Ruffalo Hooper and Associates in Tampa, Florida. Now here's your hosts, Dr. Jang and Dr. Riddle. Hello and welcome everyone to the next episode of the PathPod Quiz Show. This episode, we are joined by a special guest host, Dr. Nicole Riddle, who, if you remember, was a guest on the PathPod Quiz Show towards the end of last year. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah J, and I'm joined today by not only my guest host, but three amazing guests. We have Tomas Denise, a postdoctoral fellow at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, who is applying for pathology. Yay! And then we have Gagandeep Carr, who is a chief resident and PGY4 at Danbury Hospital in Connecticut. And our practicing pathologist guest is Dr. Sue Chang, a clinical assistant professor and chief of anatomic pathology at City of Hope in Los Angeles. Welcome, everybody. Excellent. Welcome. Thank you all for being here. Thank you guys for having me. I know I'm super excited and everybody can't see me in the podcast, but I'm totally trying to pull up my best old school Alex Trebek going around kissing babies or whatever. Yeah. If you guys can't see it on the podcast right now, but Dr. Riddle is wearing a very sharp suit. She's standing at a podium. She's got piles of money behind her in like Uh, sacks. She's really here for the game. Harvey. (laughs) Picture that in the new family feud. He's hilarious. That's who I want to be. (laughs) Exactly. That's the energy we have here today. So welcome everyone. Thank you guys for being here. So the first thing I want to know, what made you want to pick pathology? Dr. Chang, do you want to go first? Sure. I, well, we all make mistakes in our twenties. And so for a long time, I thought I was going to be a surgeon, like a real long time. (laughs) Oh my. (laughs) I know it was a misspent youth. So I actually spent two years between college and med school working for a surgeon in her research lab. And it was really fun. And then I went to medical school and my byline was going to be a surgeon. And then during my third year rotation, I kept following the specimen out to frozen. And then my attending surgeons were all like, you're so interested. And I was like, yeah, I'm a great med student. Turns out Frozen's were the gateway for me to realize that all the answers go out with the container and you want to follow where the answers are. So it took a while because momentum had already been going a certain way, but I got really lucky in that I had some really great advisors who said, this is the rest of your life. The worst thing you can do is to not listen to yourself. So I was like, okay, we're doing this. So it was kind of a leap of faith, but it worked out great. And I'm very happy now. See, that's awesome. And I know several people that have come from the surgery path, and I think it just makes them better pathologists. I tell the med students all the time, especially those that are going into surgical specialties, that they should do a path elective. It will make you a better surgeon. So they all want to be better surgeons. And I'm like, maybe, just maybe you'll find out you love path because of the people that switch residencies, more people switch into path than any other specialty. And I think it's because they know they figured out too late. Dr. Carr, how about you? How'd you end up in PATH? I actually was rotating in internal medicine, and that's what I thought I would do when I came back, came from India, you know, started my USMLE journey. I thought maybe I am or maybe pediatrics, but then I was rotating through this nephrology department, and there was this interesting case, and they were treating the patient like all over the place. And when the biopsy results came back, it was a lack associated amyloidosis, and the treatment entirely changed. 
So that actually kind of triggered something like, is it like something which I want to consider? Because in India, we don't have very good pathology background, to be honest, in our med schools. And I think it's same here. And then I went to St. George's University to teach for two years. I was a clinical fellow. And I think there it definitely triggered more what I want to do in pathology. It developed more interest. And then I ended up in Danbury Hospital. And I'm loving every day of it because every day we see something new, something exciting, whether it is grossing, microscopy. And I think this is what I love. Excellent. Thank you. And so, Thomas, why PATH? Oh, you know, I've done three years of residency in France already, so I, I kind of know go. that that's that's my jam. And it's funny because it's also during a rotation in uh, nephrology that I like came in contact the most with pathology because we could go every week with the pathologist prepare the slides for the clinical pathology review. And then I was like, it's way more interesting than the consults where you just see your patient and every week, every year, the GFR decrease of one or two, and then you send him to dialysis or transplant. And I was like, let's do that. And then I did an elective and I was like, okay, definitely. I want to do research. I want to do biology-based research. So yeah. And then after three years of residency, I was like, oh, I have this opportunity of postdoc in the US. I always wanted to do pathology in the US. So now I'm here and applying. Okay. So I know Dr. Chang said she thought about being a surgeon, but if you guys couldn't do medicine, do you guys have any thoughts of what you might've done outside of medicine? A thousand percent. I already know <laughs> because it turns out I'm doing it. Ooh. Plot twist. I would be a librarian early in residency. I would think like, Oh, being a librarian would be so cool. It's information retrieval. It's like a lot of data. And then it turns out there's such a thing as clinical informatics and you can do it. And it's medicine is the subject matter, but clinical informatics is the skill. I ended up getting boarded this year. And so it's funny because I said, Oh, I would do that if I weren't in medicine. And it turns out you can do it in medicine. So it's really fun. I mean, I think if I really this, like actually couldn't be in medicine, I would still be a librarian, but it's like, the through line is there. And I just, honestly, I'm preaching to the choir, but pathology has like every portion that you might find interesting. I, I know we have a lot of pathologists who are painters as well, because it's a very visual format. And so I just find it like deeply enriching as opposed to like a can or can't. Wow. So I want to dig into the librarian piece a little bit. Did you want to be a librarian when you were growing up or was that something that developed out of a love for reading or a love for organizing things or a love oh, for yeah. telling people to be quiet? I think it's this love of the idea of organizing knowledge, right? And not for the purposes of sequestering it, but for that everyone can have it. The idea of making knowledge and the ability to get information widely available to the people who want it, that's the part that I find the most powerful, right? And I think if you follow librarians on Twitter, which I do. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> there I are librarians on Twitter? Oh, they are, on Twitter. On, they are like Twitter, number right? one defenders of free speech, of getting stuff for people. I have so much admiration for librarians because I just really think that they believe in truly democratic access to knowledge and resources. And or you've been watching the cool show with Noah Wiley where they go out and yeah. they do magic and they like go into other realms. Yeah, exactly. What? Yeah. And then like from the mummy, right? Yeah. The heroine from the mummy is a librarian. They're real cool guys. I don't know why I'm talking like I'm one of them. I totally have friends who are librarians and they are uniformly badasses. They I mean, they're the just they're they're people. cool. They're cool. And now you're one of them. Yeah, I just want I'm a wannabe. I'm a hanger on. Wow. Wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> director of anatomic pathology by day, librarian at night. Knowledge is power, power to the people. I just, I love it. That is true. How about you, Dr. Kaur? I wanted to be in the defense, especially in Air Force. I like their uniform. I like their, those cool glasses and what they do. <laughs> So they have a different aura, I feel. Whenever I see them, I have a special respect for them. And I think after that, doctors are the ones which have the special respect. But definitely that defense is something I always wanted to do. Cool. See, also a defender of the known universe. That's what we all wanted to be. Fighting it's like crime. the Marvel Avengers of like exactly. pathology right yeah, here. Exactly. We've, we've assembled. <laughs> Marvel pathology. I like Marvel it. Right. So how about you? Initially, I wanted to be a high school biology teacher. In France, you have stability of work and stuff. So teaching biology would have been helping me to be the gateway from people to like their future and finding their potential. And that's what I like to do. Teaching is very important to me. So teaching is such a huge part of what we do as physicians, in particular as pathologists. You teach not just your obvious learners, if you're in academics, your med students, your residents, your technologists, your lab staff. You teach your colleagues in other specialties. We spend tons of time educating people on tumors and the right tests and things like that. So definitely if you have an inclination to want to teach people, you're in the right place, right? Do you feel like getting started with some games maybe? Yeah, we were talking about sure. teaching. Should we? Should let's, we? Let's do something educational-ish. The Socratic yeah, method of teaching here. At, <laughs> at, at, at That's right. Socratic, dramatic. <laughs> sarcastic. <laughs> All these methods are what we use. We got to tell our contestants what they're yes. here playing for, right? And, and what can you win? What could you win? Your very own PathPod Path Clear Pod. Ruler limited edition for measuring tumors. And as we always like to say here on PathPod, the stacks of money that you'll be making as a pathologist out in practice. Uh, caveat does not come with actual stacks of money to measure just the ruler itself. Okay. So don't, don't write back and say that, you know, we, we like misled you. So I'm going to ask a question. So a 55 year old overweight man who has some serious toe pain, like big toe pain, and, you know, doesn't necessarily eat well, was out drinking gout. with his buddies last night. <laughs> so a yes, gout. What will you see on microscopy? Take out the fluid or the tissue. Pointy crystals yeah. that are birefringent. Woohoo! That is exactly correct. Shape, negative birefringent crystals in gout. Man, he didn't even need the multiple choice. Dr. <laughs> Denise, really bring in the A game today. All right, Dr. Really, you're going to have to make the questions more difficult. Okay, okay, here you go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Ignore me, ignore me. I'm going to fake it so I get the easy question. A four-month-old with severe combined immunodeficiency needs a bone marrow transplant. So we give a young kid a bone marrow transplant. Within a week, so rapidly, he gets, you know, widespread rash all over his body. And when we biopsy it. (laughs) Yes. I would have read some answers that would have been fixed drug. Graft versus host disease. Okay. So do you know what the what the biopsy would show? Because I was um, going to say what the biopsy would show. That's the harder part. Oh, I guess immune cell infiltration, mostly lymphocytes. What is exactly true? Vacuolar interface degenerative dermatitis with lymphocytes. Okay. Should I do one more? Yeah. Okay. So let's try this one. Maybe I should make it harder than I originally wrote it. So young woman comes in, she has a rash on her face and her chest after spending the day at a park at a birthday party. Lupus. Uh, 
<laughs> okay, excellent. So which marker would most likely be positive in her serum? Anti-nuclear antibody. Excellent. And that is more broad. If I was going to say I wanted one to be more specific, I can give you the multiple choice if you want. You've been doing so well, though. Anti-double strand DNA. Yeah, that would have been the answer. Anti-double stranded DNA. Wow. Well, amazing performance so far. Amazing performance. Are you going to do another question? One more. But again, I, it's going to be too easy. Okay, I can make it a little harder. So 65-year-old man has an onset of a cluster of vesicles, you know, blisters, like in a line around his side. Herpes so zoster. You know, so, you know, it's herpes. What is the virus? VZV. It's actually VZV for varicella. Yeah. Okay. And what would the, hist I'm just going for it now. What would the <laughs> histology look like? I've never seen it, but I guess it would be multinucleated cells, like out of herpes. This guy, clearly the residencies in France are doing an excellent, excellent job of maintaining all this information. So how did Dr. Denise do, Dr. Riddle? Did he get enough correct to win his very own? <laughs> I think he kind of got all the questions right and the additional questions that I even only thought and didn't even verbalize. He just managed to know the answer. So yay. Yay. You've done so well that not only do you get a PathPod ruler, we're going to make you host the next PathPod quiz show <laughs> <laughs> nicole and i are going to the bar you can take it from here awesome congratulations congratulations oh, that's so nice i want yeah. to put it on the wall behind me for the interviews <laughs> i'm gonna have a little hard work here but and on the other side i'm gonna have the rulers yeah we'll have a magnet for you in addition to your limited edition pathpod ruler you'll get a pathpod magnet made wow. by dr kamran mirza so you'll be able to put all that stuff behind you Yay. and then you'll be able to tell which residency program is cool because they will be like, wow, is that a PathPod clear ruler? And you'll know who's really cool, right? All right. Well, now that we've got our first game down, Dr. Carr, are you ready for your game? Sure. And Thomas definitely made me anxious now. Oh my goodness. No, 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 <laughs> no. So before we get started, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about yourself. So you're a PGY4 right now at Danbury Hospital. What are your future plans? My first plan is I'm going for Search Path Fellowship in Memorial next year. Oh, wonderful. And thank you. And I'm applying for Breast GYN for 2023. So I have a couple of interviews lined up. Hopefully something works better. So let's see. All right. Good luck with all of that. Yeah. It sounds like a great combination. And one thing we like to ask is, do you have a best piece of advice for people going into pathology, for life in general? The people who are entering like pathology residents, mainly the first year, I would definitely recommend don't focus on knowing the diagnosis first, like reading books. I know many people come in and they want to know everything. It's not possible. I feel every day you will learn something something new. We will never know everything. So focus first two years mainly on your skills, grossing, reading the slides, morphology, rather than just jumping into the diagnosis. And then you can start studying in your third year and maybe finally, definitely we have to study because we have word exams. <laughs> but I think that's one advice I would like to give everyone. Focus on your skills first, then studying. That is brilliant advice. It really is. It's the building blocks first, right? Right. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, I've got a very special game here for you today. And again, just as a reminder, you're playing for the coveted PathPod Clear Ruler. And so this, this game is a little bit ridiculous. I fully expect all of your faces to look at me like I'm crazy. But this game I've okay. decided to call Zoonoses, which is a ridiculous game which combines animals and pathology. 
each answer is going to be a pathology term that contains the name of an animal within it. Oh my and wow. yes, yes. And just to make it more ridiculous, because it's kind of around the beginning of the year, we've got lots of new learners in the field. People are new, people are getting feedback, people are working with new attendings. I am going to play the role of an attending giving not so kind feedback to a resident who has confused the pathology term with the animal. And keep in mind, I will be modeling. I know it's ridiculous. Keep in mind, I will be modeling how not to give feedback to trainees and generally being a horrible attending. All right. So I will give you an example first, you know, an example question. So if me and Dr. Jang were to say, Ugh, I asked you to look for this curled brain structure involved in memory and learning, not a large semi-aquatic ungulate, which is the third largest type of land mammal get out of those rivers right now, the correct answer would be hippocampus because the curled brain structure involved in learning and memory is the hippocampus and the river dwelling land mammal, which is the third largest type of land mammal is the hippo. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And it looks hard. <laughs> I do neuropathology <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, ungulate. For crying out loud. <laughs> I, I know food and pathology, we always compare like mm, fish, kebab, mm-hmm. but animal and pathology, let's see. And if you have one half of it, one part of it, you can talk it out, phone a friend, you know, ask for help. I will give you a clue that has both the animal and the pathology. There will be puns. And as a hint, the animal is actually going to be just the beginning, the first part of the word. All right. Let's get started and see how it goes. Sure. <laughs> All right. Ugh, Dr. Carr, this book is about the care and feeding of popular domestic felines, which come in varieties like Norwegian Forest, Russian Blue, and Snowshoe. Considering you're on your ophthalmic pathology rotation, perhaps you could have instead done your reading on these opacities in the lens of the eye that may be congenital or occur with degenerative changes in age. That would have really been perfect. Cataract. Yes, you got it. See? Cataract. Cataract, exactly. Cats come in varieties like Norwegian forest cats and Russian blues. And of course, cataracts come in all different varieties. They can be congenital, they can be degenerative, they can be due to trauma or drugs or a number of other processes as well. So yeah, you got it. See, it wasn't so bad. And Dr. Riddle, it looked like you had some constructive feedback for me, maybe. No, I went, whoop, whoop, meow, meow. (laughs) Good, good, good. Because I'm cool like that. (laughs) Exactly. We're all cool like that. My positive comments. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yes. Yes. All puns welcome. It's not just about me and my bad puns. All right. So awesome. You're doing great. The disclaimer here is (laughs) that is not at all how I teach. And okay, so maybe every so often there is a bad pun, but I try to not torture my residents in that specific way. All right. So next question. Gross. Why are you showing me a photo of a tiny insect of the family Formicidae? I know these insects are famous for being able to carry between 10 and 50 times their own body weight, but you are really not carrying your own weight now as a resident because I wanted you to take a photo, Mike, of these characteristic hyper and hypocellular areas seen in Schwannoma. I'm going to have to disinvite you from the resident picnic. 
So Anthony Bodies, Anthony A, Anthony B. Yes, exactly. The animal was the ant, of course. <laughs> For Messiday, they can carry between 10 and 50 times their own body weight. And of course, they always say like, you're as much fun as ants at a picnic. And yes, exactly. So Anthony A and Anthony B areas. And do you remember which ones are the hypercellular and which ones are the hypocellular ones? Let me guess. Anthony A is the hypocellular? Oh, so close. No. So close. So I have a, I have a mnemonic. So the Antony A okay. are the hypercellular areas and the Antony B is the looser mixoid areas. And I always like to tell people, just think about like, be loose, right? So be loose, just like you are playing this game. Nice. See? I learned See? something new. Cool. <laughs> That's a mnemonic. Yes. Of course, they also have the palisaded nuclei known as verite bodies, which are those lines mm-hmm. of nuclei in the Antony A areas. Exactly. Exactly. See, this game sounded scary, but you're doing so great. I like be because I always think of bee as in bear, like B-A-R-E, not like the animal because they don't look like bears, but you know, the bear areas, but oh. bear, I kind of like be loose so much better. I like be loose, you know? I do. I do. Yeah. I like okay. be loose too. I'm really terrible with mnemonics. And so you'll have to give me feedback on mine. I've got a couple other ones coming down the road. Did you yeah. know that formic acid is named for formicidae because it was found in ants? I did actually know that because, you know, weird (laughs) pathology fact. I just thought that was cool the first time I learned it. And I was like, oh, because that's how I remember that the genus for ants or whatever species. Does it often come up that you need to remember the genus for ants, though, in pathology practice? Not in practice, just with weird, smart randomly knowledge friends not nearly as much <laughs> as i wish when i'm playing as you wish home on my couch <laughs> ungulates really come up a lot more often in pathology practice that's that's really you know very important very important to know your ungulates all right okay next example of a bad sign out day on cytology Ugh. i told you to find an example of this characteristic cell with perinuclear clearing and a raisinoid nucleus seen in a low-grade squamous intraepithelial lesion in cervical cytology not these decorative carp originally from Central Europe and Asia. But now that you've bought several of them, you might as well go ahead and run out and get me an aquarium to put them in and get me a latte while you're out. So I know the cell is a coilocyte. Yes, it's a coilocyte. And the carp that are native to Central Europe and Asia are the koi. And they're very pretty. They're orange and white and black. You're doing amazing. You've got three of three, got two more for you. And so this would be from a day on FNA, for instance, where we were seeing patients. Ugh, that was so rude that you asked the patient if they had a history of bovines in their family room. If you read the chart properly, you would have known that we were concerned about a P10 hamartoma tumor syndrome characterized by multiple hamartomas, trichomomas, macrocephaly, and an increased risk of breast, thyroid, and uterine cancers. I'm afraid you're not going to move past the beginner stage here. Cowden. Yes, Cowden syndrome. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So Cowden syndrome, beginning with cow, right? I put that in there, cow, den, you know, family, bovines in the family room. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, Cowden syndrome is autosomal dominant. And of course it's caused by a P10 mutation and patients get multiple hamartomas. They can be in the colon, they can, in other organ systems, you get trichomomas, macrocephaly, and of course the breast thyroid and uterine tumors. So awesome. Excellent. You're four of four. So this is the last okay. one. I know that everyone is relieved. It's the last question. <laughs> All right. So this one is a, a very stress inducing one that you might get around the time of, you know, the CAP or the ASCP or the use cap abstract deadlines. 
and uh, you're a resident that's coming to me with a project that we've been talking about working on the deadline is tomorrow. So uh, what is happening with this abstract? You collected a series of horned mammals native to Africa and Asia. I appreciate that you're bringing attention to the illegal practice of poaching them for their horns, but what I actually asked you to do was to comb the pathology archives for cases of this chronic granulomatous disease affecting the nose and caused by Klebsiella species. We're never going to make the abstract deadline now. Klebsiella. I would think of rhinosporidiosis. Is that the one? So close. Can you think of the other one? Klebsiella granulomatosis. That doesn't have animal name in there. Rhinosporidiosis has. Okay. You're so close. The, the rhino is the first part. Do you want to oh, phone yeah? a friend? Yeah, definitely. Can I phone a, can phone I a friend? Ask Dr. Riddle here? All I have to say is that for one, I'm a visual person. For two, I'm not a punny person, but I'm fairly certain I would have missed all of these if they had been mine. So I am just like super amazed. So you're that. so close. It's yeah. rhinoscleroma, not rhinosporidiosis. Right. And the two are, people are always confusing the two. So rhinoscleroma is the chronic granulomatous disease in the upper airway caused by Klebsiella rhinoscleroma. And the histology shows big foamy macrophages that are called, do you know the name of the macrophages? No. They're called amiculate cell. And so they're filled with bacilli. You can do a story to highlight the bacilli. And this is very, very often confused with rhinosporidiosis, which is the answer you gave. And rhinosporidiosis is also a chronic granulomatous disease that affects the nose and upper airway, but it looks really different. So the histology is these big, big sporangia with endospores in the submucosa. Right. And they're really, really big. And it's caused by rhinosporidiosis seborrhea. So this is something that always confuses my residents. It's confusing because they're both chronic granulomas diseases. They're, they both begin with rhino because it's nose, right? And so I came up with a mnemonic and you guys can tell me if it's just like the worst ever. I was thinking you could think about problems in nasal skincare because you have big pores, which you can almost see with your bare eyes. So rhinosporidiosis, see bare eye. What do you think? No, no, you guys don't like it. Anyway, Dr. Riddle is looking at me as if like I've grown a horn out of my forehead. No, no. Okay. I am thinking that one of these two will probably be on board. So Dr. Mm -hmm. That in the back of her head somewhere because after boards, I don't think I've ever, I, I might have seen a rhinosporidiosis once, but not a rhinoscleroma. Yeah. I think and rhinosporidiosis is common in India specifically yeah. because I saw mm-hmm. some cases there yeah, and that's why I remember yeah. that more. Yeah. I, I think I've never seen a real life case of rhinosporidiosis in my practice here. I have seen a case of rhinoscleroma, which is the one that mm-hmm. I actually think is if you get a biopsy of rhinosporidiosis, you're for the most part, not going to miss it because there's these huge spores, but the rhinoscleroma is one that can be a little bit more subtle because it just looks like a lot of histiocytes that are clear and foamy. And so that one could potentially maybe, you know, miss if you were having a bad day. And so, yeah, I guess you guys didn't like the mnemonic, but I tried, I tried. (laughs) So wonderful performance, Dr. Carr, and you have gotten enough answers right to get your very own HathPod Clear Ruler. How do you feel? Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you did awesome. And I know everybody is very relieved that that terrible, (laughs) terrible, weird game is over, but I really had fun doing it. And I think you did amazing, amazing. Actually, it's a very thoughtful game. Thanks for playing. It is time for our Bluff the Guest 
game for Dr. Chang. So before we get started with the game, though, I was going to ask Dr. Chang, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Take as well, long as you need. I know, right? Long okay, how I am. <laughs> what is fun? I don't understand the question. <laughs> I, I don't understand. understand. I really enjoy explodey, dumb. I'm putting air quotes. I don't think they're dumb. Explodey, fun, entertaining movies. Your Fast and the Furious, your Marvel Cinematic Universes, all of those, right? I just find them so deeply entertaining. And I find the universe, so, especially when they're very expansive, very well thought out and very different from my own life. And then what was the other question? Oh, and then you see this plant. I was just talking to it earlier today, this pothos. I realized uh-huh. pothoses are supposed to be very easy to, to maintain. So they hadn't met me, but this one's doing great. So I was telling it this morning how proud I was <laughs> for doing so great in this office, which is <laughs> drying and sometimes full with wildfire smoke, but it's just oh. you know, not ticking. So apparently talking to inanimate objects. We all do that. I mean, yeah. I've got plants in my office too, and I pet them. And well, actually one of them is one of those sensitive plants where the leaves like close oh, cool. up when you touch it. So I do pet them yeah. and I water them and it makes me feel good. I think it's nice to have plants in your office, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm lucky enough to have a window, which is not always the case. And so I thought I would take full advantage of it. So that's, that's what I do. I exploding movies and uh, cute plants. So I have the ultimate most important question of the hour for Dr. Chang. Have you seen Fast and Furious 9 yet? Did I see it? Double masked the weekend it opened. Yes! <laughs> I was like, that and they view. First thing, there were like five people in the audience. And yes. I dragged my friends and they were like, why are we going to a movie theater Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m.? I was like, let's be real. None of us were sleeping anyway. And also, this is the only time I could guarantee that we were not going to be that many people. And then I brought everyone earplugs because they are very loud. Movies They're are, I'm old loud. now. Movies are so loud now. We're going to definitely have to share a photo just to like show people that Dr. Chang is not in fact in there with like a walker and a cane <laughs> that you are a I'm young person. Um, and movies are so loud now. <laughs> movies are also too long. Anyway. Um, <laughs> the people there are too young. The food's not good. Oh, we are very I, good I, friends. That's too much money for a soda, Dr. Chang. It's like good. $8 for a soda. In yeah, my soda. day, the movie was $1.50 and you could <laughs> see two back to back and you had to walk wow. uphill both ways to get there. And they actually had film projectors back in my day. Oh, they yeah. had like actual film reels. I used to do volunteering for the student film group and literally was up there with the film projector and the actual films projecting stuff. I worked yeah. in a movie theater. Really? See? Yes, that was my first nice. job was working in a movie theater, doing concessions and then starting the movies up at the top. And they did actually have $1.50 movies. They were usually the ones that had been out for a couple of weeks. So before I worked at a movie theater, my family, we couldn't afford it. So we would go to the cheap movies. But once I worked in a movie theater, we could go to whatever we wanted and get free <laughs> oh. popcorn to boot. And the fresh Ooh. stuff the stuff they wow. over from yesterday. Man, living large, living large, (laughs) living. Wait, so Dr. Riddle, did you go? And who has been so blessed to go with you to see these movies? My husband is well aware that anytime there is a Fast and Furious movie on TV, which you know is quite frequently, um, we will (laughs) stop. We will stop and just watch it from whatever point it's on. Or if we're going to bed at night, that's what we'll put on when we fall asleep. And my daughter, if she's 10, she'll walk in and just roll her eyes and be like, seriously? And I'm like, I just love them so much. They make me so happy. So he's the one who actually said, do you want to go? It's opening this weekend. And I was like, 
What, you what a wonderful partner. Are so <laughs> cute. Doesn't do it for him. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a Fast and a Furious movie. I mean, I've seen bits of them on TV because I think 80% of the movies that have come out over the past decade are actually Fast and Furious movies. So they're always on TV. So I've seen bits and pieces. I don't think I've ever sat and watched one from beginning to end. So apparently well, I'm missing I out. I own one through eight if you want to come and hang out. <laughs> I'm not going to Florida right now to watch Fast and Furious movies with you. Are you crazy? Maybe after the pandemic. Maybe. Yeah. So how did you get COVID? Well, you know, I went down to Florida to watch these Fast and Furious movies with my friend in Florida. Then people would be like, you know, they're on TV all the time, right? They're always on TV. (laughs) Who knew there were so many fans of Fast and Furious? What's your favorite part of being a pathologist? I really love tumor board. So I work at a cancer center. And then when I say that, sometimes it seems a little off-putting or odd, but like, I think if people could see the way that so many disparate practices of medicine, social work, administration get together and talk about the sequence of treatment, the way that people talk about our patients is really gratifying. And I think if as a pathologist, especially you can get kind of mired in like mitotic counts or sectioning, right? But when you go to tumor board, you really see the team aspect of it. And that's really my favorite part of pathology. I totally agree. I don't think it sounds weird at all. I think that's incredibly rewarding. And actually one of the things that we started doing here is having medical students go and be part of tumor board so they could see that multidisciplinary care and see the role that each of our different disciplines plays in taking care of the patients. Because sometimes you feel like the stereotype, right? Like pathologists are real doctors, blah, blah, blah. But you go to tumor board and that contribution from the pathologist is absolutely critical. Being able to give insight onto not just what's the diagnosis, but is it worth collecting another sample? How should you biopsy? What's on the differential? What's reasonable as a next step for workup? What's not? There's just so much into it. And also I love, I just love trash talking with my, you know, clinicians and telling them they don't know anything. Just kidding. Just kidding. Always respectful. I'm not kidding. Definitely one time said, listen up fives, a 10 is talking. (laughs) Well, you said that? No. Maybe it was on Zoom. It was with my friend. Uh, oh man! And the other thing is that I, we're very I have got to remember that for next time. <laughs> I've got to, to a remember bunch that of surgeons. Yeah, they secretly likewise. love it. They, they oh no, they totally love it. They love yeah. it. They love it. So I said that to a bunch of dude surgeons. They're like, "Oh, this is so great!" But really, what is this tumor? And I was like. <laughs> I told you, you're going to want to hear about it. But I also think it's interesting the way we then end up coordinating with each other. Like, okay, you do this biopsy. I'm only going to do this one test. And then we're going to release it to go for this clinical trial. And mm-hmm. then when he's in there getting that laparoscopic, whatever, he's going to take a quick look at the liver and send a frozen if he needs. Like, it's really interesting because it's so much better coordinated when all your team can get together and talk about something as opposed to everyone just in their own silo. And that poor patient is like bouncing back and forth. I personally like trying to show them the very, very tiny biopsy where I'm either like, I'm amazing because I actually made a diagnosis on these 10 cells and I'll show them the 10 cells or with a ruler. I'll be like, do you see how small that is? Like in the picture, this is how much tissue was actually tumor in that quote, huge biopsy you gave. Yeah. And I will say two things I love the most is when I show a biopsy and then the surgeon or the interventional radiologist gets really proud. They're like, got a good one, right? You like that, right? There was plenty of tissue there. (laughs) Or when I put up a thing and they go, oh, that's a squamous pearl. I'm like, you listen, that's amazing. (laughs) That's so good. And they're like, oh, look at that perineural invasion. I I do head and neck pathology. So, you know, the perineural invasion, the worst pattern invasion, five. They go, oh, I see that worst pattern. It's so gratifying. You can teach surgeons things. Wow. Truly. I don't want them coming after me for saying that they can, they can be taught. 
can be taught. All right. Dr. Chegg, what's your best piece of advice? I don't really feel qualified to give advice, but I'm going to do it anyway. One thing that I've seen and the one thing that I have lived through is that almost nothing is for forever. And so if you make a mistake, you come back from it or you decide something. I have a lot of post-residency friends or fellowship friends or some of my lab staff. And when they start talking about like other opportunities or whether or not they should take this job or that job or take the promotion or not, there's a sense of I might make a mistake or it might not be the thing that I thought it was going to be. And what has become apparent to me now that I interview so many people for positions is if you turn down a job and you do it right, that door is always open still. If you come and get the job and it wasn't what you thought it was going to be, you can find another job. Really, so few things are permanent. So don't get stuck. I think people feel stuck, like they're afraid. And I think it's always worse in our brains. We think like, oh, we can't do this or like, we'll never be able to come back from that. And the answer is, if you're lucky, life is long and strange and has twists and turns and you're just taking it day by day. Such a good advice. Great advice. Yeah. Yeah your friend we can watch movies together and you can tell me awesome advice because i love that (laughs) that was awesome that's so important especially for anyone who's going through the match process this year applying for your first job out of fellowship applying for fellowships that is such critical advice i think the majority of people don't stay in their first job that they get out of residency forever people switch and you know if you're happy great stick around if you're not happy there's other jobs for whatever reason i think in medicine particularly It's like once you start the course of you're in medical school, then you get residency, then you get fellowship. One thing follows another and seems very rigid and it seems like a very closed pathway and it doesn't have to be that way. That advice of almost nothing is forever really takes some of that pressure off. So I love that. That's excellent advice. I like to remind them as well that if the first job isn't the perfect one or it's where they don't want to necessarily end up living, that's okay. Because when you do get the one in the city you want, you'll be just that much better by the time you get there. Eventually the door will open where you want to be and you'll just have lived more life and seen more things in the meantime. All right. Well, now that we have that deep advice, are you ready to pick out some lies? So the way this works is that each of our other guests is going to tell two truths and a lie, either about their own lives or pathology or whatever they decided to bring to the world today. And Dr. Chang, look at her. She looks so nefarious. She's like rubbing her hands in anticipation. (laughs) She's not even the one lying. And so Dr. Chang is going to try to tell the difference between the lies and the truth. Dr. Chang? Yeah, lie to me. Come on, let's do it. All right, all right. Tomas, do you want to get started? Sure. So first statement, I'm very, very tall and people always tell me that I should play basketball, but I'm really, really bad at it. Second statement, my favorite French food is very stinky cheese. And third fact, I sometimes doubt my French ancestry because my gluten intolerance prevents me from eating baguettes and croissants. I mean, I don't know if it is, but if it is, that's so sad. That would be so sad. What, is it too sad? Or is he a French person who doesn't like really stinky cheese? But is he trying to, like, is he trying to peddle, like, an outdated stereotype and thinking I'm going to fall for it? Mm -hmm. I've gotten in my own head now. And I will say the lie is not that he's tall because I've met Tomas several times in real life. He's very actually tall, very ask- tall. I'm going to say, I'm going to say the second one is the lie. 
Yes, you're right. I hate stinky cheese and I'm ashamed of oh, French because I don't funny. like stinky cheese. Yeah. There are a ton of non-sticky cheese, French non-sticky cheese that are amazing and I love them. And yes, it's very, very, very sad to be gluten intolerant when you're French because <laughs> I love bread and I do love croissants and the real croissant, not the American. Oh like the generate you get i ever had was in france and i remember having it like my senior year of high school and i haven't been back since and i'm like i will go back someday and i will eat that croissant <laughs> I, will find I started making my own croissants because i was missing travel and being able to go to places like france and get good croissants <laughs> but yeah my goal is to learn how to do gluten-free croissant mm. to see if it works but it won't raise that well so i volunteer I to test to taste test and uh, next year at USCAP, it's in LA again. So if I manage to do gluten-free croissant by then, uh, definitely I, I'll, I'll give them to you. All right. Good luck. Good luck. And good job, Dr. Chang. Right. So I'll go with pathology fun facts. So number one, it is 15 million blood cells are produced and destroyed in the human body every second. That's number one. Number two, for the pap smear, which I think I'm sure many will know, the papinicleur, he experimented on his wife. He took cervical smear every day, actually for 21 years. Then until the 1960s, pregnancy test involved injecting a woman's urine into a crocodile. So which one is a lie? Those all sound horrific. They are all I horrific. Know. I know the second one is true because I yell about it a lot. I'm sorry, I converse about it frequently. And that's why I can't go to dinner conference. That's why I'm not invited to dinner parties anymore. <laughs> I was shocked seeing that. Like you said, second one is true. And I was surprised. I mean, 21 years, it's I wasn't horrible. Behind many a uh, famous scientist is his long-suffering wife. What, could you repeat the first one again? The unit of measurement was curious to me. Sure, 15 million blood cells are produced and destroyed in the human body every second. If that's true, then my metabolism should be higher. That's true. My <laughs> iron clearance. Like, I was going to say, I feel like I'd be a little bit more anemic, maybe. I'd be like very yellow, but, but you'd be like splicing your heme all the time. I feel like that has to be a lie. I'll bet it's for like a, a whale or something. So you pick number one? I pick number one as a lie. Okay, that's the truth. No, yeah. they didn't inject in crocodiles. That sounds kind of crazy. Oh, they injected in, in frogs. They injected in frogs. Oh, oh, exactly. the, frog, the crocodile part was the crazy. No, I did remember <laughs> there was something crazy with pregnancy tests back in the day. Don't For, be silly, it's like, not crocodile. Don't be silly, it's not crocodile. Yeah, African clawed. It's not mm. crocodile. I mean, I think crocodile is really crazy. It was done in Europe too. And then there were some changes in the frog or... So there I were don't... some changes in the world. <laughs> they were ex... no longer able to use them. <laughs> no, they that... had all been depleted by pregnancy. Tests. No, I, I think that the frog laid eggs or something because it's external fertilization in frogs. Oh, and it's so like a if... hormone. Yeah, it was an hormone test before we had the HCG. Well, medicine is terrible is what yeah, I'm trying to <laughs> so The history you... of medicine is filled with disgusting and terrifying things. Yeah, you had to come to the lab with your frog like oh wow and it's like oh can you inject the frog with my pee yeah. what a delight oh wait so you had to bring your own frog it's like a byof situation you had to bring your own frog or at least some country you like borrow a frog wow. maybe are they reusable like do you just keep one as a all right. Well, I think Dr. Chang that you did well enough to get your own path pod clear ruler as well. Yay. Yay. 
And yes, and it's the time we're here for the last portion of our show is when our special guest, Dr. Chang, is going to turn around and stump the chump for Dr. Riddle and myself. And this is the part of the game where I am just ready to fall on my face. Because... I didn't know I was going to be tested. <laughs> I sent you the script. I didn't bring my frogs. You didn't bring your frogs. Quick, borrow one from your neighbor. <laughs> just just run out and see if your neighbor's got any of those special frogs. For the that crocodile testing. will work too. Crocodile will work too. Alligators all over the place. They're just rampant. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So I actually, for a quick second, thought to do Fast and Furious trivia, <gasps> but I didn't do it because I was like, who's going to want to? And then now I'm glad I didn't do it because Dr. Riddle would have routed everybody. And then, or more worryingly, fact check me because it's hard it's like hard to find esoterica that's like not incorrect or like too crazy to like be believed but i persisted and these one of my activities at city of hope is medical director of surgical pathology which means i spend an inordinate amount of time looking at stain lines um how to make them better whenever we're at consensus conference i get real agitated if a slide doesn't stain nicely h&e right our bread and butter our lens for the world to the point now where my colleagues will open with this is not our histology before (laughs) (laughs) before they put the slide that's cut very thickly they go it's not our histology calm down um and i'm like oh good i'm really proud of our lab so here's some hematoxylin and eosin trivia Hematoxylin is obtained from the heartwood of a log tree located in what portion of the world? Central America or South America. Your first guess was correct. Central America as uh, the logwood tree. And normally here when I'm doing a lecture, I put up a, the picture yeah, of the logwood yeah, yeah. tree. It's on the stamp of an island in the Caribbean. I want to say it's St. Kitts. Uh, oh, so this actually came up on, uh, I think, maybe one of our first episodes of the PathPod Quiz Show. Frank Ingram brought a stump the chump about the tree. Probably. And so that is the only reason that I was able to yell out no. the right answer, followed by immediately a wrong answer. I was staring blankly at the little camera being like, thank goodness Sarah knows something. <laughs> it's going to be embarrassing if neither you nor I know anything about hematoxin or eosin, Nicole, being that that is a stain that for the most part, unless I'm on Saito, I am staring at all day long. All day long. Just saying, just saying, Dr. Shea, you're really bringing the game to make us look bad. Thanks. It's Thanks, friend. Stump. Thanks, friend. It's stump, not gently stump. guide. Um. <laughs> when I said stump, you should have read between the lines and oh, understood sorry. that stump the chump meant Make us look good. Sorry, on our sorry. Own show. But you got it right. Why are you so mad? Because <laughs> I'm not going to get any of these next ones. You right. are. You are. It'll be, it'll be fine. Because mm-hmm. I learned something today. So, you know, the more you know in that little rainbow that goes across the screen. <laughs> okay. This one is a true or false. Okay. Oh, well. True 50. or false. Hematoxylin is colorless. That seems like it would be <laughs> I, I hate this question so much. <laughs> it's literally a stain and, and it's, I don't understand how it could be colorless unless they add something to it. It's the- like one of those invisible oh, inks, you know, you have to hold it up to a lamp or have it the right pH or something. Ding, 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 correct. Mm-hmm. Technically or well, actually. Well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Technically. Hematoxylin dye is a powder and it is colorless and doesn't 
bind to tissues. What we call hematoxylin is actually hematine, the active ingredient in our hematoxylin stain, and it has to be oxidized. Uh, I also did not know that. Fascinating. So you know why I thought of that is because I got this like fun science experiment kits to do with your kids thing. And one of them was pH changing powders and invisible inks. And I always loved that stuff when I was a kid. So interesting. Technically it's colorless. Mind blow. And that's why it's tricky. Question that I, I bet the faculty will know, but maybe not the others. Do you know, they call it bluins when you're doing a frozen and you put it, you know, in the hematoxylin, then water, then bluins. Do you know what bluins is? It's, a, it's an ammonia salt, right? A, it's a mortar. It's the ammonia, which is why yeah. if you don't know which one is the ammonia, not that I would ever tell somebody to sniff something in the lab. Sniff it, you're like, oh, yep, that's the ammonia. And they call it bluins just because it makes it go from the purple to the more bluish stage. And it'll look funny if you don't go through it. It's just been a long time since I've actually stayed in H&E yes. with my own delicate hands. Yeah, I know. We got a machine now, but... <laughs> frozen room after this and, and huff everything on the stand. I'm not definitely don't do that. Don't do that. No one listening do that. Please don't no one please do, do frozens in any way that is described in this podcast. <laughs> None of this should be construed as actual medical advice with the exception of the advice from our guests. <laughs> you have a machine to do H&E on frozen? Yeah. That's what you, oh, wow. That's belt. amazing. We have it's, very, oh, wow. it's very Zen. Like sometimes I get real amped up about frozen. So sometimes to calm down, I watch the thing go and it like gets me into this like very Zen space. Anyway, that was a very, and then uh, you get too Zen I, and you watch fast. Then I fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ours makes this sound. Cause you know, it's dipping and my PAs, I won't even realize it, but I'll be like, nah, 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 and I'll be doing it while I'm looking at the joke along <laughs> Like it's a song, like it's a song you're singing with it. <laughs> like you have the H and E song in your head, which is the sound of the. Complaint. My PAs will be like, "Doctor Riddle, are you?" I'm like, "Yeah, sorry." I am one with the machine. <laughs> oh gosh, that it's is funny really because. Funny. Christina, she says, oh, yeah, when you, you're stressed in a frozen, you don't have the time to do a downward dog, but maybe you just not need to do that nee, nee sound. <laughs> Sing a little perfect. song for yourself, the H&E song. Oh, man, I my love that. days are also my calf lift days because when I'm doing a diff quick, because I do the diff quick by hand, I'll do calf lifts while I diff quick. Look at you multitasking. My frozen days are the ones where I'm like, I hope I sign out these cases and don't mess up any of these 8,000 frozen. Physical fitness is the last thing on my mind. I'm like eating straight up just Cheetos and coffee all day. Cheetos, coffee, Cheetos, coffee. That's what keeps me going on frozen days. Again, not medical advice. Not medical advice. Very effective though. <laughs> the Very lunch effective. of champions. The lunch um, of champions. It's always Cheetos. All right. This one is lightning round. Name as many as you can. Name me as many kinds of eosin as you can think of. There's more than, There's one. More than one kind. I mean, I only have three, but name any of the three. Acidic eosin, basic eosin, and neutral eosin. Excellent. An excellent volley, Dr. Riddle. I, wow. I didn't know any of these. There's eosin Y, eosin B, and ethyl eosin. Wow. Are the commercially available. <laughs> Apparently you can, this paper was trying to talk about DIY H&E, which is why the introduction paragraph was very useful because it talked about all the different ways we can be like a short on reagent, basically. And that is when I learned that there are three kinds of eosin. Why be an ethyl eosin? I had no idea I, that there was more I. than one kind of, I thought eosin was just eosin and I was- I thought hematoxin uh, was purple. So. 
I thought hematoxylin was purple and eosin was just eosin. And now I have to rethink my life and my life choices. Thank you, Dr. Chang. You're welcome. Sad, sad. <laughs> well, how did we do? Did we get anything right? Kind of, maybe? Hogwood in Central America. And yeah. I think I picked true eventually after talking it out. So we got two yes. of them. <laughs> All right. So not, not a total fall in the face. And Just actually kind of I had to recover. Right. And I actually had the fourth question, which was what Dr. Riddle preempted. Cause she guessed I was going to get there. I-, I was working my way down a stain line. Right. And I was going to get to the ammonia. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, see, I would have gotten that one. Yeah, you would have. So, <laughs> and I think you get double points for writing it and answering it without <laughs> knowing. So yeah. I think we're like four out of five. Woo-hoo! I think I'll take that. I'll take that. That's how the scoring works. That's how the scoring works. Well, it's, how, it's our quiz show, so we can do whatever we want with it because, um, <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, it's our thing. That's the great thing about like having your own quiz show. You can make up the rules. Yay. <laughs> awesome. Well, I did not expect, you know, this time has flown by. I did not expect us to talk as much about the Fast and the Furious as we ended up talking about. That was a surprise, but I think, All of our guests have been absolutely, absolutely amazing. All of y'all have been brilliant and funny. And I have just enjoyed so much spending this time with you. And so thank you all so much for being part of the show. I'll be sending out your PathPod Clear Rulers, which you richly deserve. And a special thank you to Dr. Nicole Riddle, my special guest host, who is still going to be my friend if she'll have me as a friend, even though we're not going to watch Fast and the Furious together. So yeah, thank you all so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It was great. Stay safe. Support for the Free PathPod podcast comes from listeners who like it and share it with their friends. So go ahead, send someone the link. And be sure to subscribe to PathPod wherever you download your podcasts. PathPod is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not medical advice. As always on the podcast, any views expressed are solely those of the person speaking and do not necessarily represent their employers, their affiliated institutions, affiliated professional organizations, other speakers on the program, their friends, their families, their pets, or anyone involved in the production and distribution of this podcast. Thanks for listening to PathPod. Uh-huh.